Thank you very much for that song tonight. Well, children, this is your time to be dismissed, ages four years old through third grade, I think. We'll let them make their way out to the children's meeting. I want to thank those who are working with them tonight. And while they're going out, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 119 tonight. Psalm 119 this evening. I'll comfort some of you by telling you I'm not preaching an expository message through Psalm 119. Some of you say, what's an expository message? It's verse by verse through the longest chapter in the Bible. So for those of you that don't get it, hopefully you do now. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to eat lunch with uh, the young people, the college ambassador. We provided pizza for everyone. Uh, I've come to one of two conclusions. Either people in this part of the country grossly underfeed their elementary age school children, (laughs) or they just love pizza. And uh, it was a delight to uh, be with the young people. And Pastor, I'll tell you this, uh, in the other schools uh, where I've done this in the last couple of years, there's been no group of young people to show more gratitude than the people in this Christian school. And uh, I want to tell you, that's, uh, that's, uh, you would think that that's a common courtesy in the Christian environment, but it's not. Every teenager, I want you to look this way. Let me tell you, two of the greatest words you'll ever learn to use are the words, thank you. And uh, so whether it was teens or elementary school kids, some of them drew pictures of me. I liked them because I was skinnier in those pictures. (laughs) I thought to myself, these are wise people, wise children. And uh, false stories. Anytime I want to lose weight, I'll just get a picture from a child here and pull it out and say, that's really what I am or what I guess I want to be. So, But enjoy that, and I think tomorrow we'll have the opportunity to minister in chapel uh, to both elementary and secondary, so uh, grateful for that opportunity tomorrow. Psalm 119 is perhaps the premier chapter in the Bible on the Word of God itself. You may not know this, but virtually... Almost every verse, almost all of the 176 verses in Psalm 119 refer to the Bible in some form or fashion. Thy word, statutes, judgments, on and on the references to the Bible are given. And it reminds me of when I was a kid. I was not raised in a Christian home. And my first exposure to real church on a regular basis came when I was a bus kid. I was introduced to this thing called children's church. And in children's church, we had to memorize the books of the Bible in order. I remember doing that, but we also had to memorize verses in a competition. I still remember being in this memory verse competition. And what they basically did was every week they gave us a verse to take home. We were responsible for memorizing that verse, and then every verse that we memorized on top of that, uh, you know, went to our point total. And so the idea was memorize this one verse and then memorize whatever you want. Well, I was in fierce competition with one of the church kids, and this girl was just as smart as could be, and I was so competitive. 
And I'll tell you tonight, my motives were not the most earnest uh, at that time. They were not as pure as a driven snow. And eventually just came to the point where I just wanted to beat her. And so we were getting down to about the last Sunday. I had the key verse and I memorized it. And here I was, a bus kid. Somehow I'd gotten my hands on a Strong's Concordance. Now, for many people, they say, what is a Strong's Concordance? A Strong's Concordance is a book that's about that thick that takes you five minutes to look up what you can roll a cursor over on your computer. Basically, that Strong's Concordance cataloged every word in the Bible, and every time that word is used, it's listed in there. And it was at one time a very valuable tool, but now with Logos and Bible Works and Quicksword and everything else, I mean, you go online, yeah, it's just right at a moment's notice. But there used to be a time where it took some time. I was thumbing through the Strong's Concordance, had no idea what I was going to memorize, unfamiliar with the Bible. And I stumbled across a beauty. I was looking through that Strong's Concordance, and I noticed this, that in several of the chapters in the first five books of the Bible, a number of those chapters started with the same exact phrase. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... That was all the verse said. And I said to myself, I've got it. I'm going to memorize all the references of those verses that just say, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And I'm going to win. And so that Sunday came. The girl got up there. She gave her verse and said her verses and sat down quietly. And I stood up and I said my, my one verse. And then I did, well, don't remember all the references off the top of my head. But what I did was the equivalent of this. Exodus 23, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Exodus 24, 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... And I just kept rolling for five minutes. I don't know what agony I put those children's church workers through that day, but there was nothing they could tell me to make me think that I didn't beat her, and I won that competition that year. Now, next year, strangely, they, they, they would forbid that practice. You couldn't do that anymore. But I'll never, I'll never, 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 ever forget that. But, you know, since that time, I'd have to tell you, one of the reasons I'm here before you tonight is because this book has transformed my life. And ladies and gentlemen, there cannot be revival apart from the proper attitude and relationship to this book. I want to tell you tonight what scares me to death at Ambassador Baptist College. You say something scares you to death, you better believe it does. Listen, we're a family place, family atmosphere. Everybody knows everybody by name. We have a focus on ministry. But the thing that scares me to death is that if we're not careful, we get such a familiarity with this book that it fails to transform our lives. And I believe that that same tendency is also possible in a church just like this. And so tonight, I want us to read Psalm 119. Verse number 11 is our only verse for our text tonight. When the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin 
against thee. Tonight I want to preach to you a message that I have entitled, The Precious Word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. When I was a kid, I was sitting on the tailgate of a pickup truck. My dad was sitting beside of me, and on the other side of him was sitting another hunter. The three of us were on the tailgate of the pickup truck. We were listening to our hunting, hunting dogs. I'll just drop the G. I don't know what hunting is, but I know what hunting is because we did a lot of that. And uh, we took our hunting dogs and we would take them off season and we would let them run all night long so that they wouldn't get lazy during the summer and be not even worth shooting in the winter when we needed them. And so the dogs are out running that night. I'm sitting on the tailgate. My dad's beside of me and beside of me is another hunter. And uh, the other hunter pulled out, I'll never forget it, it was a buck hunting knife, is about that long. And man, I looked over at that thing and my dad saw that it caught my eye and he said, son, he said, boy, would you like to have that? I said, man, I'd love to have that. And so about five minutes and $15 later, I was the proud new owner of an old buck hunting knife, old tattered leather sheath that I still have today, things almost worn out. But if pastor came to me after the service and he said, Now, Brother Bill, you mentioned that knife in the introduction that message. He says, uh, there's some big money people here in this church that are knife collectors. And I guarantee you there's a man in this church, he'd pay $1,000 for that knife if you'd let him buy it. I'd look at pastor and I'd say, you know, Brother Henry, I really think you're trying to look out for me and my best interests. But the unfortunate thing is that knife is not for sale. And, you know, Brother Henry, he's an earnest person. And uh, there are times when he's probably pretty persuaded of something that he could stand his ground and he'd look at me and say, Brother Bill, you don't understand. I don't think this guy would just give you $1,000. I think this guy would give you $2,000. I'd look at Brother Henry and I'd say, you don't understand. It's not for sale. And finally, with all the persuasion he could muster up, he would say, listen to me, this guy would drop five grand for that knife if you'd sell it. I'd say, listen, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it, but the knife is not for sale. And he'd walk away. He'd think, that man's crazy. But I'm going to tell you, there's a value that's ascribed to that knife tonight that no amount of money can purchase. Because when my dad passed away when I was 15, that's one of the few items that I have that was passed down to me. And maybe one day I'll give it to one of my sons and I'll pass it down, but it's not going anywhere. All of you in this room tonight, you have items that you'd say, boy, they're precious. You'd say, these items are valuable. These are items that I wouldn't want to part with. These are items that carry great value and they're irreplaceable. But ladies and gentlemen, it is high time for us in the house of God to be overwhelmed by the realization that in our hands tonight, we have something that is far greater than a hunting knife that one day is going to rust and vanish away. Do you realize that within your laps tonight, listen to me, you have the Bible, a two-edged sword, an eternal book. And I propose to you tonight, how dare we expect a lost and dying world to submit to the Word of God when we as the children of God take it for granted ourselves? I want to ask you tonight, is this book precious to you? What you do with it will determine whether or not it's precious to you. 
And so tonight, I'd like to break down the verse in three very simple ways tonight. And I pray that when you leave, this book will be a lot more precious than when you came in. Number one, I want you to see our best possession. Thy word have I hid. What's the most valuable possession you own? (coughs) Not a trick question tonight. Sometimes we preachers can ask those trick questions. But some of you tonight, you say, well, I have a gun safe and I have guns in there. Some of you say, it's a particular vehicle. Or somebody would say, it's my house. That's the most valuable thing that I have, monetarily speaking. But ladies and gentlemen, of all that we have tonight... Do you know that we're holding a book in our laps this evening that billions of people on the face of God's earth have never seen? And yet we don't treat this book as precious. You see, I believe this book is their best possession tonight, number one, because of the power that it has. There's no book with the power that the Bible has. Do you know the first time in the Bible where the Word of God is mentioned? When I was in hermeneutics class, now that's not a disease, that's an actual Bible college class, all right? Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible. In hermeneutics class, they taught us what was called the principle of first mention. The principle of first mention is the first time you see a concept mentioned in the Bible, you pay careful attention because there's usually a great significance that weaves through the entire book of the Bible uh, like a thread, And so in the principle of first mention, here's my question. When is the Bible, the Word of God, first mentioned in the Scriptures? I'll tell you when tonight. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. When at the dawn of creation, God says, Let there be light, and there was light. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Long before the local energy company came on the scene... Long before solar panels were installed in large fields, long before windmills were constructed to capture the wind and generate power, long before, listen to me, the sun, even predating the creation of the sun, God Almighty looks out into the vast expanse of nothing and without the help of any scientist and without the help of any energy company, He says, let there be light. And light was. That's the first time the Word of God is mentioned. Listen to me, if the Word of God is so powerful this evening that you can speak light into existence, don't you think tonight we ought to be able to conclude that this book's a powerful book tonight? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the Bible says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why when we sit in the pew and we hear the Bible preach or we read it, sometimes the Bible just pierces us in the innermost parts. It's a powerful book. Some of you tonight, you're like, oh, that's just mom and dad's book. You say, oh, that book, it's just a book for old fogies. It's really not a powerful book. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, the Bible says, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord? Here it is. Is it not like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? You know what I've seen the Bible do? I'm going to tell you what I, listen, with my own two eyes, eyewitness account. You know what I've seen the Bible do? I've seen the Bible take the heart of the hardest teenager and crumple him to the floor in conviction. 
You know what I have seen the Bible do with my own two eyes? Is take a man who was given to the devil's drink and he trusts Christ and his life be changed? Do you know what I've seen the Bible do with my own two eyes? When somebody sits across from my desk and their life is steeped in sin, and they're looking for an escape, and they find the answer in the Bible, and they leave and live in victory. I'm going to tell you, there's no other book in the world that will do that. It's her best possession because of the power that it has. But take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight, and I want you to see that it's our best possession because of the process by which it's been given. In a moment, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, but while you're turning, I want to ask you a question. How did you get your Bible? Somebody says, well, my mom gave it to me when I graduated from high school. That's how I got the Bible. Well, I'm glad that you got it that way, but where did she get it? You say, I don't know. She probably went to the Christian bookstore and that's where she's bought it. Well, here's my question. Where'd they get it? After a while, you're like, Brother Bill, this is getting a little bit uh, circular in our thinking. I mean, yeah, somebody printed it. And before that, you're probably going to say, where did they get it? And yeah, you're right. Because folks, I'm going to tell you something tonight in the culture and the day in which we live. There are more people that are questioning the Bible, and I think there are less and less Christians that have the answer. I'm going to tell you, a guy who's an atheist come to you and say, what's so special about that book? You'd say, well, it's from God. And he'd say, how do you know that? You'd say, call my preacher. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I meet people and they're pretty stiff. And they're opposition. If somebody came tonight and they said, what is so special about that book? I would tell them that according to the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, the Bible tells me in verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, before that, let me give you a little context to that passage. 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Here's my question. Where do you think Timothy learned the Bible? That's who 2 Timothy was written to. Where do you think Timothy learned the Bible? Somebody would say, I'll tell you where Timothy learned the Bible. It was from that preacher who threw his leg up in the air and threw his hands up in the air and screamed really loud. Well, you know, I don't know what Paul's method of preaching was. Maybe it was that way. I'm not sure. Somebody would say, I'll tell you where I think Timothy learned the Bible. It was from that godly, gray-headed Sunday school teacher who would take their their uh, curriculum Sunday after Sunday and say, all right, Timothy, here's our memory verse for this week. I hate to break it to you, but I doubt Timothy had organized Sunday school like we do. But I believe tonight I can very dogmatically tell you that Timothy learned the Bible from a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Now, for every one of you in this room that works with children's ministries, listen to me for the next two minutes. I'm not kicking against what you're doing. If you'll let me bring it full circle, it'll hopefully enhance what you're doing. But for every Christian parent in this room, listen, you don't have a right to pawn off all of the Bible teaching and all of the Bible explanation on Sunday school teachers and even preachers. 
I'm going to tell you, many a sermon has been torn down in a child's mind because of the way that they saw their parents either handle or not handle the Word of God. If you're here tonight and you're a mom and you're a dad, listen to me, you've got a responsibility to teach your children this book. You teach it in word and you teach it in example. We live in a day and time where more grandparents are raising their grandchildren. And you know what I say to them? I say to them, even in difficult times, listen to me, you have a great responsibility and a great opportunity to teach your grandchildren the Word of God. And I believe tonight that some of the struggles and strife that we see, it's because that we parents have not taken very much to heart the responsibility that we have to teach our children in the Bible. Now, with all that being said, I'd like to say to my friends in here that work children's ministries, listen, when they send papers home with your children, with memory verses and stuff, listen, when they send that home with your children, they didn't do that to kill more trees in Brazil in the rainforest. They did that because it's an actual tool to help you as a parent to be able to spend time with your children in the Word and to teach them the Word of God. It's a tool. And so we see that Timothy, from a child, the Bible tells us in verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you the greatest thing about this book is it'll make you wise unto salvation. You know how I learned how to be saved? I didn't learn it from CNN. I didn't learn it from Kathy Griffin. I didn't learn it from all the late night comedians that flood their filth out there to get a laugh. I didn't learn it from them. I'll tell you where I learned about salvation from this book. It's able to make thee wise unto salvation. Now, this isn't the crux of what I want to say, but you listen to me carefully tonight. Sir, I want to ask you a question. Can you give me a Bible reason why you know you're a child of God? Now, there are a lot of people, they'll say, well, my mama told me I was saved, or they'd say I was baptized when I was a kid down south when my daddy was a preacher. That's not what I'm asking tonight. No, I'm asking you, can you give a Bible reason from the Scripture which is able to make thee wise unto salvation? Can you give me a Bible reason why you know you're going to heaven? Listen to me, it's not worth it to walk out of these doors and hang your eternity on emotion or what somebody else said. And I believe that there may be some tonight. You'd say, Preacher, I couldn't give you a Bible reason why I know I'm saved. Well, you need to listen tonight to the Lord and you need to let Him work in your heart and you need to walk out of here eternally secure and and assured through this book. Now, with all that being said, verse 16 is where I want to dwell. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Do you know what the Bible tells me about itself? It tells me that this book was breathed not by some windbag preachers that fly around in jets and make lots of money. But that this book was breathed by God. All Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is breathed by God. Do you know all of the begats in First Chronicles? You ever read through there before in your Bible reading? You're like, you hit your Bible reading chart, it says First Chronicles, and you let out a little bit of a sigh. No storylines or plots, a bunch of unpronounceable names and the word begat. 
Do you know that that's just as inspired as the book of the Revelation? You know, the book of John, that's just as inspired as any other book. And listen, you beware, there are a lot of people that go online to hear all kinds of teaching. Listen to me, you you can go online and you can find somebody that believes anything. And what's crazier than people who believe anything are those who follow them. And you ought to beware of that. You'll listen to some guy, well, this isn't quite right in the Bible, or this isn't real. Listen, you better beware of that, and I'll tell you why. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And sometimes people go astray. They lend more credence to some radio preacher that has some new doctrine. And they begin to say, well, that's not really what it means, or that's, not the, that, that's really not right there, there's an error here, there, that's not right. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This book that you have tonight, ladies and gentlemen, was given by God Himself. Now, you know the practical outworking of that? We ought to treat it like it's from God. Folks, let me tell you a convicting thing tonight. I bet you in America the average Muslim has more respect for the Quran than the average Christian has for the Bible. You say, are you proud of that? No, I'm ashamed of that. But you know, when you go around a Muslim and you find a stack of books, you'll never find that Quran on the bottom. You know why? They put it on top. Because they respect it. You know, sometimes, listen to me, do you respect the Bible? I hope you brought one tonight. You say, well, I'm a Christian, but I just forgot my Bible. Well, okay, you know, we all forget. Hey, I can... But if you have a habit, you never bring it, you never read it. Listen to me, don't you tell the world it's precious to you. If you tell the world and say, yeah, that's a very important book, but but I, I never really bring it. You know, money's important. You're going to bring it, aren't you? To me, listen, to me, coming to church without your Bible, again, if you, you know, say, ah, preacher, this is like the one night that I did not bring my Bible. Listen, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody unnecessarily. I realize something may have happened. But I mean, if you're just in that constant habit, coming to church without your Bible is like going to the grocery store without your wallet. You think they're going to give you freebies? Oh, just, I hope you got a lot of coupons since you don't have your debit card. It just only makes sense. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now here it is, and is profitable. You know what that word profitable means? When I was a kid growing up, my mom had a rule. She said, boy, if you don't go to school, you have to stay in bed all day. Now that was a great deterrent for false sickness, you know. Oh, my tummy hurts. Huh? You're going to stay in bed all day. And my mom was like an armed guard walking through the kitchen, always looking in my room. And so you were really sick. And when you were sick, usually that meant you were going to get medicated. And I remember one time I was sick and I was laying in bed. I had a horrible cough. My mom had some cough medicine. And back when I was a kid, nowadays, listen, they've got all kinds of flavors of cough medicine. Cherry, grape, fruit punch. Uh, I mean, you name it, they've got a flavor. It, it's ridiculous. When I was a kid, they had one flavor of cough syrup. It was the flavor yuck. 
It's horrible. It's like pouring motor oil down your throat. Some of you are like, I lived in the castor oil days. I, I don't want to hear about that. Mom would come in with that spoon and she'd take that thick liquid and she'd pour it into that big spoon and... And after it was all in there and the lip of that spoon looked like it was that big around, it just looked huge to me. And she'd say, all right, son, open up. And I'd just say, mm-mm. And she'd say, listen, you better open up. I'd say, mm-mm. And then she'd look at me as mothers can do and get serious and say, if you don't open up, I'm going to wear you out. And all of a sudden, boy, my mouth opened up. Mom poured that stuff down my throat. It was nasty as I could taste it, but I can still hear her words as a mother. That stuff's just going down my throat. And she said, don't worry, honey. And this is what she'd tell me. She'd say, it's good for you. (laughs) Let me tell you something about the Bible tonight. It's profitable. It's good for you. Hey, Christian teenager, it's not going to hurt you to be in church on a Thursday night. Things could be a lot worse. You could be in jail. You know, for us adults, oh boy, you know, revival meeting. Listen, by the way, I'm glad you're here on a Thursday night. Some of you are like, you're preaching to the choir. We're here. Well, do you want to be here? Don't answer that. I'm just telling you, the Bible, it won't hurt you. It's profitable. You know what it's good for? It's good for doctrine. You know why I believe in an eternal hell tonight? It's not because some preacher told me. It's ultimately because the Bible says so. You know why I believe in heaven tonight? When I close my eyes for the last time, I know that I can be absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's doctrine. It's in the Bible. It's teaching. I believe it. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. Don't we all like to be reproved? Every day we want to just hear how, we, how we've done everything wrong, don't we? Not me. But you know, there are times God pats me on the back and says, Bill, you're going the right way. There are other times He grabs me by the nap of the neck and says, Don't do that for reproof. And every one of us need the reproof of the Bible. And then it says for correction. You know, for reproof. You say, I hate it when somebody tells me what's wrong and then they don't tell me how to make it right. I'm the same way. I don't like that. That's not going to work. Well, how do you fix it? I don't know. And turn around and walk off. I'm like, you, 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 you. But I'm going to tell you what God does. There are times God puts His finger on your heart and He says, listen, you ought not live that way and you go back and look in this book and God shows you how to have victory. He tells you how to make it right. He tells you how to follow Him. Instruction and righteousness. This book was written over a period of 1,600 years by more than 40 different human authors and it doesn't contradict itself one time. I'm going to tell you, only only God could write a book like that. It's her best possession because of the power that it has, because of the process by which it's been given. Number three tonight, it's our best possession because of the person of whom it speaks. When I was in elementary school, there was a girl in my elementary school, public school, she was the most hateful, meanest girl I'd ever met in my life. 
And her name was Michelle. I said to myself, I mean, here I am in kindergarten. I'm like, I will never marry. I mean, you know it's bad. A kindergartner doesn't think about marriage, but it was so bad. I said, I'm never going to marry a girl named Michelle. That's horrible. Well, it all changed when I was about 16. I met a young lady, godless girl I'd ever met. Her name was Michelle. I married her five years later. But I'm going to tell you, every time I hear the word Michelle, I can be in a church and somebody will call to their wife and say the word Michelle, and well, all of a sudden my ears are up. I'm going to tell you, I hear that word. There's a great sensitivity to it. But let me tell you, as precious as the name Michelle is to me, listen to me, there's no name more precious than Jesus. And do you know where I learn about Him? Right here. I read him about him in the Gospels. By the way, I read about him in the Old Testament. You know how I learn about Jesus? I learn about Jesus through this book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we find the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, listen to me, you can't draw closer to Jesus unless you're in this book. You can't learn more about him unless you're in this book. I want to ask you tonight, is that name really precious to you? If it is, you'll be in this book on a regular basis. Now, before I go on to the last two points, which are much briefer than the first one in this message, I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you read this book and it did something in your soul? You say, what do you mean? Jeremiah 15, verse 16, the Bible says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and they were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. You say, I don't understand that verse. Stop. And let me illustrate it. When's the last time you've sat down at a table, and a meal was put before you that was outstanding? I don't know up here in the north how you do it. Down home, they call them homecomings. They call them potlucks. You know, (coughs) you just eat food some Sundays. You know, the crock pot brigade comes out of the the parking lot and they go into the, you know, we're going to eat today after the service. When's the last time you've gone to one of those and you stopped by the dessert table and you saw the coconut cake, you saw the pecan pie, and you saw the banana pudding? And so because you didn't want to offend anyone, you grabbed one of the big plates at the main table instead of one of those small ones that they give you at the dessert table, and you put all three on the plate, you sat down, you ate every last dessert, and when you were done, you pushed away and you put your hands right here if you're a fella. And you look across the table at somebody and you say, man, that was good. (laughs) You get in the car and you can't stop talking about it. (laughs) Did you have a piece of that, honey? No, I didn't have a piece of it. That's the best that I've ever eaten. And husband, while you're talking, you're digging your grave. You know that. (laughs) Talk about your wife's cooking that way, son. You know, from a human perspective, listen, there have been times we came up from a table and we said, that was great, that was good. 
And we've told other people about it. Listen to me. Thy words were found and I did eat them and they were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Listen to me. Every one of us from time to time, our spirits ought to be so overwhelmed that we get up from the table of God's Word and we marvel and say, that helped me. But you know what? Those times are few and far between. I'm going to tell you, not every day. I just Maybe every day should be this way, but not every day is a home run with me. There's some days I'll read the Bible and I come away from it and I'm like, God, you knew exactly where I was at and this was written hundreds of years ago and I needed this. You filled my tank. Other days I'll read that and I'll say, wow, hmm. man, I've never seen that before. That's good. There are other days that I read it and I'm like, hmm, hmm, okay, that's, that must be what I need to get through the day. Sometimes it's like God speaks in a shout. Sometimes it's like God speaks in a whisper through this book. I'm not going to say that every day is a shout. But you know what? When's the last time you came away from the Bible and listened to me, you were excited about what you read? Why isn't there any revival? I'll tell you why. Because we're excited about everything else. But what God has to say to us. Number one, our best possession. Number two tonight... I want you to see the best place. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Now, I'm going to do a pitiful job tonight of explaining this to you, but I think it's very important for you to understand the difference between the Bible working here and the Bible working here. Now, they're going to be, notice, by the way, these are closely connected. I'm not here to tell you tonight that you should be brainless and just be emotional. That's not what I'm saying. There's a connection between the head and the heart. But do you know, I am convinced that there are people in Bible preaching churches, they know a lot here, but it has never hit them here. I'm talking about people that can quote you all kinds of verses, but yet they've never let it hit them here. Through the years, I've talked with people and they would tell you how they were raised in a Christian home and they did everything that they were asked. They participated in every children's program, but their hollow was heart because they failed to grasp the importance in Romans chapter 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And there are people I believe in hell this very moment, not just because they've been deceived by the devil's drink and the drugs of this life, but people as well that knew a lot here, but they never let it hit them here. You say that's a pretty strong statement. It is, but that's the difference. The difference tonight is whether or not you're just going to let it lodge here or if you're going to put it in your heart. I'm going to tell you, there's some of you, if your marriages was like your relationship with the Bible, things would be rocky right now. 
You know, if you know the Bible up here, but you've not really let it hit you here, sir, that's like when your Bible's just giving you, or your wife has given you a long list of things, and you're listening to her, but you're not. And she says, what did I say? And you're able to list off every last thing that she said with absolutely no heart feeling. You told me to do this and do that, do this and do that, and do this and do that, or you asked me about this and that and this and that. You know what I mean, gentlemen? We've done that before, at least I have. One time my daughter, Kara, she was talking to me and I was distracted. She said, what did I say, Dad? And I started listening off everything. And she came up to me and put those little hands on my face and pushed my cheeks together and raised my head and said, Daddy, listen to me. I'm talking to some. Listen, you've learned a lot through the years, but it's been a while since it's really touched you here. You know, there's times that I can read something. I'm like, oh, that's a nice story. But then there's other times something just gets a hold of me and I can't let go of it. Hopefully you know this, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you, every one of us needs to hide this book in our hearts because our hearts are wicked. You say, that is not very self-esteeming. Listen to I understand it, but it's true. My old heart left to itself can do the hor- most horrible things. Jeremiah said our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And if there's any place where I need to put the Bible, I'm going to tell you what, it needs to be in my heart. <clears throat> I don't know if Aaron knows this story. If he has, it's only because he's heard this message before. But across from our administration building at Ambassador, there's a white house that is a men's dormitory. When we moved there in 1996, we bought that house and we remodeled it and made it uh, into a dormitory where we housed 14 to 16 men. Well, we bought the house. The lady had died just prior. And so finally the family came after we had bought the house. They had so many days to clear the house out. <coughs> and they came on the back porch and there was a refrigerator-freezer combo and they opened up the freezer and they just started pulling everything out and they were throwing it into the garbage, figuring that it had been old or spoiled. And so they started grabbing these packs of tinfoil out of the freezer and throwing them into the trash can and after a while their curiosity got the best of them. And he said, that's interesting. All of these feel about the same. They're like the same size. What in the world did she have in here? They opened up one of those packs of tinfoil and found a stack of $100 bills. And before it was over with, they opened up all of those packs and they found over $100,000 in cash wrapped in tinfoil in a freezer. Now that's cold cash right there. <laughs> you say, why did that woman do that? Listen, I think the reason that woman did that is she wanted to put it in a place where she thought it was safe. You say, a freezer? How many people, they're going to rob you and go to the freezer? That's where they put their guns. That's where they put their money. They're invaluables. It's all in the ice cubes. 
That lady established a habit through the years of putting stacks of $100 bills in that freezer. Why? She wanted to put it in a safe place. She wanted to put it in a secure place. And tonight God says, listen to me, you take the Bible and you put it in your heart. Now listen, you can't put the Bible in your heart if you never pick it up and read it. You can't put it in your heart if you come to church so bored out of your wits with your arms folded and a cross-eyed look at the preacher that says, bless me if you can. Listen, it's not going to go to your heart. You can't put the Bible in your heart, listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not reading it on a regular basis. And you're letting it interact with you. There are times you're like, Lord, that is me. Lord, that's exactly what I need. Young person in this Christian school, don't you fall prey to memorizing left and right, but your heart just be untouched by the words. Thy word have I hid in my heart. But the last thing I want you to see is the best purpose. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I have a confession to make tonight. From time to time in my life, I may have a problem with some sinful thing. Now, I'm not proud of that tonight. But if you're a child of God and you're honest, I think you'd have to say the same thing. Now, when I was growing up, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to please my dad. And I knew that in order to please my dad, I'd have to do as he asked. And that carried great weight with me. Listen to me. If you want to please God and you want to live a life of not of sin but of righteousness, that means this book has to be a part of it. If you think you can do it on your own, you're absolutely crazy. I'm telling you, there are times you have a problem, a struggle in your life, and you begin to try to do it on your own. Hey, it's not going to work. You need a power that's greater than yourself. You need the conviction and the control of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God to churn in your soul. And there's no way we can please the Lord tonight unless this book's a regular part, a regular, meaningful part of our lives. When I graduated from high school, my pastor's wife wrote in the flyleaf of the Bible that was given to me. Now, I know it wasn't my pastor's handwriting because his handwriting was hideous. And so he'd have his wife write neatly, but she wrote this phrase in the Schofield Bible that I have in my study, and it says, Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And you know what? The longer I live, the more I see the truth of that. You know, some of the most tenderest, most tender and most saving moments of my life and my spiritual walk have been when the Word of God touched my heart in a very real way and rescued me in some fashion. And I can also tell you that some of the most spiritually dull times of my life came when this book didn't mean very much to me. We can talk about revival all we want, but until we get honest about where we're at with this book, not much is going to happen. 
This book ought to be precious to us. There was a man who was a Gideon. Gideons are responsible for placing Bibles all over the world. I'm not here tonight to give an advertisement for the Gideons. There's some things in which they may do that I don't support. But one thing I can tell you for sure about them is they've sown a lot of the Bible all over the world. There's no doubt about it. There was a man who was a Gideon who received a letter from a man in Mozambique, Africa, and it was written in crayon on tattered paper. And the letter read like this, Dear Mr. Gideon, please send me a copy of Big Holy Book in my language. It's talking about the Bible. He continued on and he said, And if no have copy of Big Holy Book, please send me Little Holy Book. He was talking about the New Testament. And then he continued on. He said, And if no have copy of Little Holy Book, please send me part of Little Holy Book called John. And you know how he ended his letter? He said, And if no have part of Little Holy Book called John, please send me part that say, For God so loved the world. You know why there's not much revival in America? Because country after country has been starved of this book, and in this country, it seems like in our homes, at least in our circles, we have an abundance of it. And we've taken it for granted. And it may be that the road to revival tonight is paved by honest people to say this book has not meant nearly as much to me as it ought to. And tonight, God, forgive me. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. I want to ask you, can you give a Bible reason tonight Why you know you're saved, why you know that you're a child of God. I'm not looking for a baptismal certificate. My mama told me. My daddy was a preacher. You know, when it comes to eternity, those things are just mere shells of excuses. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm asking you tonight, can you give me a Bible reason why you know that you're a child of God? It's able to make thee wise unto salvation. If you're a Christian tonight, you ought to be able to do that. So I'd like to ask, you're here tonight, you'd say, Brother Bill, I'm a Christian, I know that, I can give you a Bible reason. Why I know that I'm going to heaven and Christ is my Savior. My sins have been forgiven. I can give you a Bible reason why I know that. If you can do that, would you slip your hand up and keep it up just a moment? Slip it up and keep it up. All right, thank you. You may put them down. (coughs) Now, if you're here tonight and you say, Ah, you know what? That's really a stretch for me. (coughs) Well, I can tell you what I believe... The Lord's will is for you tonight. I believe the Lord wants you tonight to get that assurance in your heart. You don't need to risk eternity another night and go by your emotions. You better make sure it's grounded in the Bible. 
And I wonder how many here tonight you'd say, Alton, I've heard this message this evening. And I can't give you a Bible reason why I know that I'm a child of God. I can't do that. And tonight, God's working in my heart. You say, I don't want to risk eternity. Tonight, I can't give you a Bible reason why I know that Christ is my Savior and my sins are forgiven. And I don't want to leave here unsure about that tonight. You'd say, Alton, would you pray for me? I'm here tonight. I'm either not sure. I know that I'm not saved. I can't give you a Bible reason tonight of why I know that I'm saved. And tonight I want to leave here knowing that the Bible has made me wise unto salvation. And you'd say, Preacher, would you pray for me tonight? That is where I'm at. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and keep it up just a moment, long enough for me to see it. Thank you. I see that hand. You may put it down. Anybody else tonight, you'd say, Would you please pray for me? I can't give you a Bible reason. Now in just a moment, when we have a time of invitation, Pastor will be here at the front. Now listen. I don't care whether you're young or old tonight. I don't care whether you've been raised in this church or you're just visiting. If you're here tonight and God's dealt in your heart about this matter of giving a Bible reason, there's nothing to be ashamed of to seek help. In a moment, Pastor will be here at the front, and I'm going to ask you to step out where you're at and come and say, Pastor, tonight, I I want to see what the Bible says And I want to nail this down in my heart. And we'll have somebody take the Bible and show you, take you aside and show you how you can leave here with a Bible reason. Now, I'm going to ask one question. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. I'm not going to... I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if I ask tonight, I said, how many of you in the last month have been consistent in reading the Bible? Now, I'm not talking about sickness (coughs) and emergencies. That's not a gotcha type question. I'm trying to be reasonable. If I ask that question tonight, would you be able to say, Preacher, I've been studying this book the last month. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands in that. But I could ask it that way. You think about that. In the last month of your life, what part has this book been in your life? Have you been in it consistently? Have you been in it regularly? All right, now here's the question I'd like to ask as we finish our service. How many of you here tonight would say this? You'd say, Brother Bill, I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. But as I've heard the preaching on the Bible tonight, God dealt in my heart. It may be for some of you, you've lost the wonder of the Bible. You've just become so bored with it. It may be for others, you're not in it on a regular basis. You're very hit and miss. The Bible's not very important. You you treat it with such flippancy. And tonight the Holy Spirit has put His finger on your heart. Whatever the case would be, I wonder how many Christians tonight, you'd say, Brother Bill, whether it's not reading it regularly, or not really doing much in my heart, and my heart being cold to it, you'd say, Brother Bill, I'm here tonight as a Christian, and God has dealt in my heart about the Bible and the need for the Bible to be in my life and to revive me. And you'd say, Preacher, God's dealt in my heart about that. Would you pray for me tonight? If that's you, would you slip your hand up tonight? Several in this room. Thank you. Thank you. You may put them down. You know, all week we've met together and we've prayed in this prayer meeting before, Lord, would you revive us? This is another step 
towards that work. Will you be honest with the Lord tonight and will you come? Will you respond? Will you bow your heart before Him and leave here purpose to fresh and anew for the Bible to be meaningful in your life? There's no revival apart from the Bible. May God help us tonight. Would you join me in standing if you're able? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father.